Welcome to the Learning and Development Podcast. I'm David James, and each week I'm going to chat with guests about what lights them up in the world of people development. This week, I'm delighted to welcome Suk Pabiel, talent development partner at Read Business Information and prominent L&D blogger and podcaster. Let's get into it. Suk, welcome to the Learning and Development Podcast. Now, we've known each other for a number of years, and I first became aware of you as a prolific blogger, dare I say... (laughs) A commentator on all things L&D. You're a prominent voice on Twitter, and I'd sum up your style as equally encouraging as you are challenging of our profession. Would that be a fair summation of your public voice, and is it a conscious one? So first of all, thanks for having me on. (laughs) Really appreciate it. And that was a very kind introduction. Um, Is that that a fair summation? Yeah, it probably is, actually. Yeah, I've I've always been uh, a believer that it's okay to challenge and mm-hmm. it's okay to provide criticism, but you shouldn't be seeking to uh, beat anyone when they're down, mm-hmm. right? In that there's ways to be able to help build people up and to encourage and support more and other people to be able to take part and do stuff or just however, right? Mm. So, yeah, I think that's a very, very fair summation. Thank you. Yes. Thank you very much. Then we got off to a good start. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and just to explain, you're currently talent development partner at read business information that's right um having headed up od at one housing and been in lnd yes. in the nhs have you blogged throughout and what was the trigger for you to develop a public voice yeah oh it's a good question so it was actually when i was working for a digital marketing and tech agency and i learned somewhere along the line that there was pretty much half of the workforce which was at the time probably about 200 250 people or so were all apparently active on this thing called Twitter. I had no idea what it was. I had no idea how to use it. So I thought, okay, well, I've never done social media before. Let me check it out. And so in those early days, it was just primarily to connect with other people in the work. Mm -hmm. That's what it was. And then I started realizing that, all right, people blog, and that I can do it as well, and I can have a voice. So I just started. And it was for no other reason other than, this looks like a fun and interesting thing to do. I'm going to try it and see where it goes. And then along the way, managed to uh, create quite good connections with HR folk, recruitment folk, L&D folk. And then like, quite a lot of good things started happening just from there, just in terms of the people I've met, like you, right? We, mm-hmm. we met because of social media. And the, you know, the way you cultivate and grow those relationships, I think, is, it can be a really fun thing to uh, to do so mm. that's that's why right i didn't really i didn't set out to have a public profile just because i thought i need this in my life because i have things to sell or anything else mm. it was just more this is a way that i can i didn't know i i wanted to have a voice like this and i do mm-hmm. and that's quite that's quite nice yeah and you, the thing that really struck me about your blogging building mm-hmm. on the, the the twitter stuff is the uh the, the stream of consciousness you have about about what you're doing, uh, why you're doing it, and challenging yourself in long form. Yeah. Um, I think that that within there there are rallying cries to the profession as well. I wonder how you see your role and whether you do see a role or whether it is just a, a stream of consciousness that has to <laughs> has to come out now. Ah, uh, my role. I don't know. I, I'm not sure what my role is in and amongst that. In truth. Um, I, I, I think I've caught on to this kind of a personal vibe where I think that if I can be open about what I'm doing and I can share that with others, 
then it's not necessarily about me saying, look how great I am and I'm doing all these fantastic things. Mm -hmm. It's more of a, I'm trying stuff, here's stuff that I think is interesting. And I've learned, I think I've learned along the way that there's certain things which are have greater relevance and stronger kind of evidence base behind them mm -hmm. than other things. And so I choose to advocate for certain practices and not for other certain other practices. Uh, but then amongst that as well, um, I think I've just ended up creating a, a, a certain kind of persona, I suppose. <laughs> and it's, it's often interesting to hear how people receive that, actually. Yeah. It really genuinely is because, I, you know, I, I kind of have an idea as to what I, I know what I put out there. And I know sometimes it can be provocative and sometimes it can be, uh, like you said, a stream of consciousness. But mm -hmm. it's very rare that I'm sitting down to create a kind of, yeah, a campaign or, yeah, I, I need to I need to blog on these topics mm -hmm. or I need to have these things written down. I, 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 I've never planned my blogging or my Twitter activity in such ways. Mm. And, and I'm, I'm smiling now because uh, I think back to a time, because me personally, when, I, when I'm writing... Uh, it can take me several days or several mornings, right. shall I say, to, to refine an idea. I'll, I'll start writing three or four or one day. I'll go back and probably discard two and carry on another two. By the end of the week, I've got one and I've worked up an idea. Um, partly because um, uh, I, th I think I want to just be really sure of what I put out there. Yeah. Not to say that you're not. But but certainly with mine, sometimes I'll disregard stuff because I think, well, I'm not sure. I'm not sure where where this might be going. But yeah. it always. But it, I smile because it reminded me of a time that you and I went out for drinks and a meal, and I ran an idea past you yeah. of what I was going to write. And the next morning, you posted about our conversation. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Just again, I think it's indicative of our two styles. Yeah. I was pondering, and you went out and you you said, "Look, we had this great yeah. conversation yesterday," which I think. Um, sparked a few other it is exchanges. yeah actually yeah. that sparked off quite I think at least three or four other kind of blog responses yeah which doesn't happen much these days actually mm. it used to be much more the case that people were very comfortable to respond back in blog format yeah but these days that, it's rare that that tends to happen mm. in that kind of way or maybe it's because podcast is the place to oh, it could these be. Days. <laughs> <laughs> of course this is a, this is an area you branched out into as well I did yeah it, again it was just more of a this is this looks like a fun thing to be able to do mm -hmm. and it allows me to focus on because one of my other big interests is around positive psychology and emotional intelligence and what have you. And uh, so I I use the podcast to help me focus that stuff there, mm -hmm. um, just as another avenue. Yeah. Genuinely, yeah. And um, talking of different uh, and, and new avenues, mm. um, you have uh, recently run a program, and they're in the, the process of running a program that you've called Modern Learning Leader. That's right. What's the idea behind this? And why did you take it upon yourself to do it? Yeah, so it's, um, so thank you for bringing it up. And it's um, so over the years, I think what I've been observing about the profession, right? And I've had very many regular conversations with a lot of our practitioner folk, our peers in the industry, to really understand, yeah, how is it that they go about what they do, mm -hmm. and you know, um, including things like um, how do they get skilled up in the area of L and D. And what I learned and realized is that you obviously have the likes of the CIPD quals. You have the likes of the LPI. Um, I think it's called the capability map. I might mm -hmm. have the terminology wrong there. Um, and there are other kind of ways to hone your skills in terms of if you want to learn a particular model, then you have to get certified or you become a practitioner mm -hmm. or whatever. Right. And 
Um, and what I started to recognize was that amongst all of those things, what you didn't have was an avenue for people who are experienced L&D practitioners, mm -hmm. professionals, to genuinely take what they do and develop it further with respect to a lot of the topics that we talk about in the modern age, mm -hmm. right? So you've got all sorts of writers in the public space, and I'm going to name some, but it's not because I'm um, trying to exclude others. It's just these are the names coming to mind. So you have, uh, like yourself, mm -hmm. for example, right, R writing quite well um, about digital learning and helping people to understand what that looks like. You've got people like uh, Jane Hart, who helps to understand that there's things called social networks and collaboration tools, and you can use them in different ways to engage learners at work. Mm -hmm. You've got people like Julian Stodd, who writes about things like scaffolded learning and how to make sure you've got you know, a broad remit of stuff. You've got people like Charles Jennings talking about 70 20, 10, and you start to realize, right, there's a lot of stuff going on out there. Mm. You know, and, um, and I'm not trying to, like I said, I'm not omitting other people's writing in the same space, but there is genuinely a lot out there and it's quite hard to know, well, how do I develop in any of those things? Or as a, a, as a or in all of them mm. at the same time. And that was the gap for me that was missing, right? Yeah. Is that there's no genuine way without, without going to one of those and saying, help me learn what you do at the expense of knowing what everyone else is doing as well. Yeah. And that's quite a tough thing, because if you choose to go down one of those roads, and that's a valid choice, it means that you're actively omitting the other stuff. And so the development journey you have to go through then tends to be a very um, long-form of development where you're trying to have to understand one particular um, attitude, mindset, theory, whatever you want to call it, Spend time doing that and then move to another one and then move to another one and so on. Right. Yeah. And that's quite, and that's, that's okay. But it's, it also leaves so much room for, um, uh, opportunity as well. So that's kind of where the modern learning leader came in was mm. as a stopgap to be able to say, if you want to get a sense of these things, here's something that can provide for that for you. So if I, if I understood you, correctly you my, my own words to, to to aid my understanding is is it that the um the skills required in learning and development now have um are not just growing but fragmenting and they are they're not necessarily um comparable and relatable disciplines but they are pretty disparate and if somebody's going to go on a on a path or a journey to develop yeah. those they're going to have to go deep in a particular specialism, come back up and go deep again, rather than just go across the board in what is now being seen as, as you call it, like, like a, a, a modern learning leader toolkit. Is that yeah. right? Yeah, yeah. I think that's a really great way to to uh, describe it. Absolutely. Okay. Cool. And 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 so, I mean, from my from my own perspective, I've, yeah. I've referenced so often the uh, the tools maturity benchmarking reports. They have the spidergram. Um, graphic and for the last five years or so i've gone straight to that page whenever i've seen the uh, the report and it pretty much tells a stark story of of the skills that are prevalent within learning and development and they show that teaching and training uh, are high yeah uh, that learning administration is high that project management and coaching and mentoring are pretty high and then everything else is very low yeah um, the lowest of all of those being data analytics supporting performance and developing digital content right um, which which are, are seen uh, a lot of those well all of those are less than thirty percent um, uh, 
prevalent in, in yeah. learning and development. And again, as assessed by learning leaders themselves. Um, so, I mean, that, that's, that, I think, shows a stark picture. Yeah, I does. think that yeah. it also shows the fragmentation because uh, off the top of my head, I'd probably say that there's about 30, maybe 40 different strands of, mm. uh, of that. I think they're all important these days. Um, and to reinforce your point that to go from um, having a traditional skill set to having a fully developed skill set right. as described on the on that diagram, it's going to take a, a huge investment of, of time and energy. Yeah. So so your program itself has highlighted um, particular gaps which yes. you're looking to fill. So what, what, what are those? So I've just looked to see what are some of the broad topics that if we helped people understand the those topics better they would it would uh provide kind of a um uh i can't think of the right word a platform a you would be able to leapfrog i don't know what i'm trying to say right now mm -hmm. but basically you could take these and it will help you to understand other things mm -hmm. so uh, the, the main topics i've chosen are around what does instructional design look like today and why is it different to what it was back then mm -hmm. um related to that what does performance consultancy look like and how do we genuinely do that um, what does digital learning look like? And what are the many different ways that we can do digital learning? And it's not just e-learning mm. rebadged as a, you know, a new modern terminology. Um, what does it mean that we, ha that we understand the human condition? And it's not just about emotional intelligence. Mm. There's so much that we understand about what it means to be a human that um, it's not just in the realm of psychology anymore. There's many more other factors that help us to understand that. Uh, user experience. So when we're designing digital content or even when we're designing in-person content as well, how do we genuinely design content with the user in mind as opposed to learning objectives and, mm. you know, learning outcomes? Uh, so they tend to be the main topics that I focus around. And like I say, they, you know, that's just my own take on the world. Um, and what I hope is that by by looking at those, it allows... Um, people going through the program to be able to understand that they uh, they provide an um, in, um, they provide a way to be able to uh, understand other things that are happening in the broader space as well. Mm. So it's so a lot of it you, you said there about um, like a, a springboard. Is it kind of a, a way then to? That's the word I was looking for. <laughs> Thank you very much. <laughs> Is it then so to to open people's eyes and make them aware of all this other stuff to allow them to go deep? Both in um, the the acquisition of uh, of knowledge and know how, as well as application. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, because I I think around these things, you know, there's there's a few things for me which I, I think are important. One is what do these things actually mean? Mm -hmm. You know, we use a lot of terminology ourselves in the industry, and sometimes the um, understanding of each of these things can just get mixed up. Mm. Yeah, I think I know what it means, but I don't genuinely know. Um, you know, so when we talk about digital learning as a good example, and we start to talk about, oh yeah, well I've got an e-learning offering. Mm. Okay, that's great. How else are you providing digital learning resources and content to your teams? Yeah, and people start to kind of lean their head a bit and they go, I understand the words you said because they were the English language, but I don't really understand what they mean to my profession. Yeah, thinking that perhaps, and you know, maybe this is being, uh, this is a generalization rather than uh, specifics, but people interpreting. The term digital learning as a rebrand of e-learning exactly so here's a question for you so Go on. has the role of lnd in organizations changed or is the role the same but mechanisms for delivery different okay 
So has the role changed or have the mechanisms? Yeah. Or is it just the mechanisms for delivery that are different? I think it's a case of both, actually. Mm -hmm. I think it's actually probably a case of both and more. But the role has definitely changed. And it's surprising to me how many L&D departments out there still operate in quite a traditional format Mm -hmm. where they are, you know, as um, Andrew Andrew Jacobs in our industry often calls them as order takers. You you commission some work, you you design the work and you deliver the work. And therefore you have achieved your role. You've done the thing you've been asked to do. You've provided learning. You've provided learning. And uh, and as much as we might include other uh, pieces within that, so e-learning designers, um, in-person facilitators, coaching, mentoring, whatever it might be, those are the products that we are providing. And as far as quite many L&D departments are concerned, that's it. That's my function. That's what I should do. And I think... When you start to, and I, yeah, okay. So I think when you start to uh, explore the many other ways in which, and I know you write about this very regularly, and you you make your point so well that when uh, when you start to look to see, well, what are people actually doing on a day to day basis to gain the knowledge they need, you realise that their day to day practice is radically different to the learning products that we provide, mm. and so. There, there needs to be some, some much better understanding and awareness of, well, help me understand what that looks like, because I don't get it. Mm. And I may not have the right tools to be able to help deliver on that stuff. I may not have the right skills myself. You know, I might not have the right knowledge. And this is kind of where modern learning leader comes in. Mm. I might, I just don't know how to develop those things that you're t- saying that I need to understand better. So, yeah, I think it's, and plus the mechanisms for sure, right? So it's not just that the technology has changed. It's also that our understanding of the human learning process at work has fundamentally changed as well. So, yeah, I think it's a case of both and there's more to add to that as well. Yeah, I think that's a great uh, question. Thank you. Um, I think that um, we've got to look at the factors that mean that that, that L&D has changed. And I think part of that are expectations that um, as as short a shorter time ago as 2007, 2008, when there was still limited accessibility to the internet and because smart devices weren't so prevalent, yeah. uh, because um, the internet was locked down perhaps in yeah. some organisations, people still relied on the Sage on the Stage, a platform full of uh, content, and that, that was the mechanism that they would uh, fought for the acquisition of know-how and knowledge in in an organization but so much has changed in such a short amount of time that the expectation that if you don't know something you'll go and get that information in support of what you're doing Mm. now and that's not just driven by our our, uh, professional lives that's driven in pursuit of our career goals so so still still from a professional edge but perhaps outside of our organizations and certainly outside of work completely when when we want to know something when we want to know how to do something we're getting our hands dirty quicker than we ever did because we've got access to people who have done this before. Yeah. And, and in this regard, I think that we're not seeing the delivery of learning content. We are seeing some kind of mini apprenticeship being served, you know, whether somebody is yeah. um, digging a patio for the first right. time in the garden. That's a mini apprenticeship. Hey, David, look at this. This is how I did it. But before you get digging, what you want to do is measure this out. So I'm watching and yeah, then I'm right. learning and having a go. 
there's also a little bit the mentorship around this. And one of the, the, mm. the theories I, I like being applied to this is spiral learning in, mm-hmm. that, in that regard, going from beginner to, to mastery in a particular task or, or context, but not mastering the whole thing. So, so, so when it comes to whether it's digging a patio or joining yeah. an organisation, yeah, yeah, yeah. mini mastery may include just becoming familiar with your immediate surroundings, um, which may require a little bit of content. That could be a map. Um, that could right. be um, an experience or a connection. So asking somebody where the toilets are and then going and going there yourself to try to find it. Yeah. Uh, coming back from the toilet with a coffee as well is added. What you've done is you've got experience plus results. Come back. There's a mini mastery. It's all those little <laughs> things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. When you have Absolutely. a look at thinking, right, so that that's a genuine concern from somebody who is joining an organisation. Mm. And then what you've got is to add some cultural nuances about how people behave there. There are communication and influencing um, uh, characteristics that, that yeah. people need to uh, to gain the confidence of to to execute and do. so all of these little things that can help now waiting to go on a training course or having all of yeah, that right. blurbed at me in the first two hours of me joining an organisation are just not good enough and I think that people expect more but when you add on to that I think that I so you've got the, the 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 expectation changing and then in a lot of, in a lot of learning and development and this is the stuff I read and some of the conversations I have I think we don't do ourselves any favor with the language we use yeah an example of this will be we will still go to our organizations our stakeholders and we'll assess the 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 success of the learning and development function with questions like um, do you have enough time for learning yeah uh, how do you like to learn <laughs> right so so then people go oh right okay um yeah I was doing that a moment ago and I was just meeting with John but how do I like to learn? I can't stand your crappy learning stuff. Um, yeah. Oh, classroom. Oh, classrooms. Yes, classrooms. I'll have classrooms. And you know, you, and, but but when we ask different questions, such as um, when when you're trying to work something out mm. in your role, or when you don't know how to do something, what do you do? Completely different question. And I think we'll get to the the nub of answering that question. But that's about mechanisms. It's not about right, actual exactly. solutions. So yeah. then you've got another strand, which isn't just about the mechanism. It is, what are you trying to do in service of your goals, your mm. micro goals, your macro goals, your your um, work goals, your career goals that you're not able to do right now? A completely different type of conversation that right. we can be having that, that might scare the pants off of a lot of learning and development professionals because, my word, that's a, that's a can of worms that yeah. I don't want to answer. But as soon as you start getting into that, you get you, those are solvable problems. What we've been working on, I think, for a long, long time, are unsolvable problems, which is the which is yeah. the whole. What would you like to learn, or what do you need to learn for your job? Mm. I just think it's I just think it's the wrong, the wrong question. So, so my, I suppose my point, and uh, um, I'm realizing this about four or five minutes of people's <laughs> lives they're not going to get back, um, is the expectation and the driver from uh, outside, and plus the language that we use. For learning and development that that I think are, are probably not serving us as uh, as they could. Yeah, I, and I think you're you know you're right across um, those multiple pieces that you said there, and you know I, I think you can add to that and say there's there's quite a bit around the language as well where we we're taught the language in a certain way, mm. you know. So and I know you've written about this before as well where we talk about well we have to complete the learning needs analysis. Mm-hmm. And from that, we develop the solutions and we develop the content. And, you know, and that's that's the model mm-hmm. many are used to. And even if you look at job descriptions, that's what a lot of job descriptions want. Yeah. Yeah, experience of doing those things. You know, yeah, you can design content, you can facilitate training, that you can deliver large presentations, you can uh, um, create e content or what have you. 
that that's the stuff it talks about. It's rare that you'll find job descriptions that talk about um, performance consultancy mm. or you know experience design uh, and some of these other titles. And these these sound like fancy titles, mm. and they might be in some respect. Um, at the same time, we're not really articulating what those things necessarily are either. Mm. You know, in a way that helps people to understand. Oh, right, there's a new language here around L and D. And we need to be better at how we articulate that stuff. Yeah. And look, I, th- I think that uh, you're right. There is a new language in learning and development. But I think you could, you could challenge and say, but it's kind of established language in business. Uh, going back to that towards maturity, yeah, uh, right. Spidergram, um, you know, over, certainly in this year's one, supporting performance was the second lowest set of yeah, skills right. available. You've got to take a look and say, that might be not in the language of learning and development, but that's certainly in the language of uh, of um, people who who are attending yeah. our programs. You said to somebody, "Why why are you attending the communication skills course?" Yeah, the, the first line answer might be, "Well, I want to be better at communication skills." But were we bold enough to dig deeper, we'd get into specifics, yeah, and those specifics right. will be around performance and results. Yeah, and yet we may not be versed or willing to to open up that can of worms. Yeah, and I think. Um, that's really fascinating because what we're trained in when it comes to doing the L&D stuff is how to take what you what you want and develop content around it. What we're not really good at doing is um, doing those kind of deeper questions. And, you know, some might argue, oh, surely that's just coaching. Mm. Maybe, right? Maybe that, Maybe it's about that. But I think it's genuinely more about, but what does a business need to achieve? Yeah. And it starts, that starts from a different place though, right? That doesn't start from what's the learning outcome we need to achieve here mm. is what's the business, what, you know, as a business um, practitioner, you know, be you a leader, be you an individual contributor, you know, be you a data analyst or what have you, you've got an outcome you're trying to achieve. So let's mm. work through what that process is as opposed to, oh, well, I have communications. Uh, uh, my team uh, needs to go through a team building day mm-hmm. because they lack morale. Okay, you know, I would know right now, I could guarantee you, you would have 30 people lining up at the door saying, I can solve that problem just like that. (laughs) You know, because I've got a great team building day and I've got, I can analyze, I can do all this great facilitation and it's going to be the best thing you can experience. And I'm not knocking any of that. That could be the case. But genuinely, what we don't do well enough is dig deeper into those questions to say, right, so, but what's going on in the day to day stuff Mm. that's affecting the morale? You know, what's going on in the day to day stuff where, people aren't performing as they need to, or you're not being as uh, effective a manager as you need to be, or you've got the wrong incentives in place to help these people to uh, achieve better. You know, you're not being open and transparent enough about the work you have to actually do. That's the stuff that makes a difference, mm. not whether or not they have a great team building experience. All right. So can I play devil's advocate and, no, be, no. <laughs> <laughs> and be contentious? Um, providing learning is easier than affecting performance. So if my job description, the one that hasn't really been updated for the last 10 years, might yeah. be passed from, uh, from, from candidate to candidate um, since uh, the mid-2000s or the end of the, you know, the last decade, mm. if this one says provide learning content and learning programs, maybe even maintain the curriculum. Why rock the boat? Yeah. I mean, and, and in many cases, you know, we need... We, um, our profession is not resistant to or to anything else that's out there, right? People need to work. They need to do the job. You know, they've got to earn a living. So 
there's there's quite a lot of people who would look at that and go, yeah, you know, I can do that. Let me go ahead and and, and earn my keep. Mm-hmm. At the same time, we have to start questioning: Is that the right thing? It, do I, if I continue to just maintain what's there, then how, in what ways are we likely to get disrupted that we just didn't expect to happen? Mm. So YouTube came along and became this fantastic learning resource we never knew we wanted. We didn't. So to your point about building a patio, right? Or if you want to do knitting, or if you want to know how to rewire a plug. You don't have to, I don't have to go down to the store anymore to find out from the electrician, you know, um, or I don't have to ring someone up and say, can you come in and do this for me? I can literally just look at a video 30 seconds later, mm-hmm. know what I need to do. And I'm on, I'm on my way. Mm-hmm. So if that's already happening, and it is, right, it, we can't dispute that that's already the, the case. As one example of a disruptive thing that's out there in the world, then we're putting ourselves at a chance that the... Um, our business leaders might turn around and say that role is genuinely redundant because we have access to other resources and content that can fulfill the need in a much more relevant and um, uh, targeted way Hmm. than than having someone deliver courses and design content that's quite a that's a that's that is a challenge Mm -hmm. it really is now, what you're describing could be seen as project fear. Um, and imagine, <laughs> <laughs> imagine, imagine. Nicely done. I, 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 um, I hear, I hear it quite a lot. That um, not, not in the words that learning and development professionals don't want to modernise, but right. they value the existing skill set to such an extent that they either don't have the capacity or the will to develop in the areas that you've you've already outlined that the, the, the modern learning leader yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, covers off. Right. Um, but can I comment on that? Yeah, of course. I'd love you to. So um, I, I think it's a really interesting one around that if, if people get it from an intellectual perspective, they do. Mm-hmm. You, know, you talk to most people about it, they'll go, yeah, yeah, I get it. Where they um, start to, um, I think, become reluctant to, and resistant to this stuff is that they recognise their own failings. Mm-hmm. And they recognise their own lack of knowledge and their lack of awareness around these many ranges of things that we're talking about right now. And this is, I think, this is the problem with the modern L&D function is that there is a lot out there. And um, there is, it, it can be not just overwhelming, but it can be really hard to understand which of all of that stuff is the stuff we pay attention to and which is the stuff that we need to just discard. Mm-hmm. And there's... Uh, that is is a genuine challenge right now. I think that exists where no one is doing the genuine research to help marshal some of the, that thinking. Mm. So I think the Towards Maturity Benchmark is a really powerful tool to be able to help highlight here's the stuff that um, we uh, got strength in and here's the stuff that we don't do so well. It it and and where it stops is it, it doesn't we, you can't take that and then go forward and say so what am I supposed to do about that. How, you know, if 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 uh, if uh, supporting performance is a lacking skill within my team or within the uh, you know within the wider function, then how do we raise that up? You know, does it take someone like the LPI or the CIPD to say we're going to fund all of the development that you need? Mm. That's not going to happen, right? But is it something as bold as that where you have a, a profession who says we recognise that there are there is skill sets out there which you all need to, like, you know, 
and, and then at the same time with the likes of the CIPD say, but we cover this already in our quals. Mm. And so in order to do that, you have to complete the whole qualification, which again, when you think about how people tend to go through um, more immediate performance-based learning, that's not a great solution. Mm. If they want to do longer form learning, sure, right? It's, and that's fine, right? But then there's, and, and the CIPD are doing a good job of delivering um, their content through digital means. But that's because it's a long form program. Mm. And you're, you're purposefully going through that in order to gain a certain qualification or a certification at the end of it. But if you need something in the now, in the moment, there's not, there's not a lot out there. Mm. And even the modern learning leader, that's not, that's not a regular program. Mm. You know, it's, it's a discrete program that I've decided to do. I did it once a couple of years ago. I've done it again this time around. So between that period of time, I, I wasn't providing it out there and mm. people weren't asking for it necessarily because they didn't know that it was something to be asked for. Mm. And I'm not plugging for it, right? No, I'm, no, uh, of course. I'm, I, I'm generally interested in, uh, uh, in what you saw as the gap. And, and you know, I think it's providing for a, for a fascinating conversation. Yeah. But so, um, are we reaching a tipping point in learning and development or are we describing a profession that mm. it's, it's okay in the main because our, 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 um, our stakeholders aren't asking for anything that doesn't look and sound and smell like courses and e-learning. <laughs> so are we, are we at a tipping point or are the voices becoming louder? We are, we are part of those voices. Yeah. And I've got a question to add to the top of that. If, if it's not just the rhetoric, will data and the application of people analytics mean that this tipping point is for real and learning development is going to change? Yeah, I, I, it's, it's a great set of questions there. Um, I'll be at a tipping point around stuff. I don't think we are. Mm. You know, I think that I think there's a community of voices who are regularly talking about this stuff that help us to know that there is a movement. And if we think of this more along the lines of um, the adoption curve and, you know, where are most people, I would say that most people are in the kind of, you know, um, quite firm um, late majority mm -hmm. uh, as opposed to any other part of what that, that curve looks like, right? And so uh, just to help provide some clarity, that the early parts of that are um, something like the um, innovators, then you've got the early adopters, mm -hmm. then you've got the early majority and then you've got the late majority, and then you've got the laggards at the end. So I would probably suggest that a lot of us who comment in this area are either amongst the early adopters or the innovators. Mm. And I'd say that's, that's probably where we're firmly going to stay for a long while. Mm. Because the majority the, are not... If they're ready, for, us, if they're ready for, the, for their own skills and for the profession to move forward, it's not happening as... Um, quickly as we might observe mm. and the, the easiest way to understand where i come from on that is when you look at conference um content and what they're putting out there it doesn't tend to be any different to what i what we've heard over the years mm -hmm. it tends to be case study based stuff about long form programs and it doesn't tend to talk about modern delivery of stuff that is genuinely different mm. And you know, if you look at the likes of awards and the kind of topics that people submit for awards, and or rather the categories that people can submit for awards, they tend to be quite similar. They quite to be tend to be quite samey as they have been over the years. That tells you that the profession isn't moving in a certain direction. 
and that people aren't trying to push those boundaries. So I'd say we're quite far from being at a tipping point because mm. the tipping point infers that we're ready for the early majority to become the late majority so that yeah. everyone is starting to act and deliver in a certain way. Mm -hmm. I don't think we're anywhere near that right now. Do you think then that we are rife for disruption if people analytics and HR analytics then gets into the hands of leaders um, and that's not something that mm. might be coming that's something that's happening right now right um so so people insights are in the hands of of leaders who may be questioning then the value of some of the uh, activities programs and content being provided do, do you think that that's a risk uh, yes absolutely um if the business leaders knew how to interpret that mm. data so i think that's just another angle here right yeah. is that the data might be available, but if you don't know what you're reading, then it's just numbers on a you know, on a report. Yeah, uh, I think the true, I think the same is true of our own HR and L and D leaders as well. That I, I think you're right to pick up that data is and data analytics. And I'll I'll hold my hands up. I'm not great at that stuff as well, mm. right? I'm trying, and I, I, I uh, it is a learning curve I am on myself. But it is a, um, I think that, and. So there's an, another level of education there that needs to happen. Just a, but like the same that we're talking about with all these other things, it's the education that we're going through ourselves as an L and D function, and that's the thing which kind of worries me is that there tends to be a um, the you know, your question earlier was um, the or your comment or observation earlier was about people in our profession not wanting to move forward with this stuff and. It's because at some level you recognise, well, I have to reinvest my time and energy to do these things. Mm. I've got a day job. When am I supposed to put the time and energy into developing myself to genuinely upskill and you know offer these things better in a better way for the organisation or for my clients or for you know the consultancy work that I'm involved in? All those things, right? Mm. It's it's hard to invest that personal time and. I suppose looking at the other side of that, there may be a risk, it may be a threat, but I think there's a big opportunity as well, as we've said, that yeah, um, right. investing first attention and then time and then perhaps experimenting could mean that yeah. that the disruption happens from within learning and development. Now, mm. you going back to the, to the introduction, mm -hmm. you uh, are active on Twitter, mm. you are a blogger, you, are, um, a you run podcasts as well as getting involved in another social activity in modern learning leader mm. um are are these the type of things that lnd should be doing and engaging in in order to i suppose to gain to gain some traction some confidence in yeah, in, in right. digital and progressive lnd so i think it's really interesting because you uh one of the things that i find that gives me strength to experiment is i've got a community of people around me and I can, and I do this very regularly. Mm. I'll talk to people and I'll say, I've got this idea. And they will help me to know whether or not I can run with it. And there've been many times I've, uh, I've been told that's not going to work because of the way that you are planning to approach it. So why don't we try a different way? Why don't you try this? And what that's given me the real strength and um, uh, confidence in is that experiments are absolutely fine. And it's from experiments you learn what works and what doesn't. And I have had uh, a lot of very uh, good privilege to experiment 
to my heart's content. I was going to swear. <laughs> and um, I think that from doing those experiments, it's helped me to genuinely learn about what, do, what can work in different organizations, because we know that every organization is different. So you have to try different things to see what will and won't work. And at the same time, um, so, you know, should, P, should L&D uh, professionals out there get involved in this stuff, it can be helpful. You know, because for someone like me, if you want the strength of others to be able to help support you, mm -hmm. yes. But other people, they will have the strength of conviction themselves to be able to go forward and do it. And they won't need to have to. There is a world of knowledge out there that I think that if you, if you, can, if you know how to access it and you understand how it can help you to develop what you know and what you do, then that's a good thing to uh, to take part in. If you don't, then and that's everyone's personal choice. Mm. You know, there's, um, we, we can't add, we can't um, uh, mandate for people to have to go through anything genuinely mm. around the profession, you know, it's, um, and that's why it's also often hard to uh, criticize some of the kind of uh, less favorable practices that are out there. Mm -hmm. Because at the end of the day, there's nothing to say that there's, um, or rather the research and evidence base that's out there, it, uh, it, it, it can sometimes jar against what people believe and what they want to do. Mm. And so everyone has their personal choice. So they have to go ahead and do what they want to do as opposed to is what you should be doing. Great. And as you mentioned, people um, can connect with you and the community of in different ways. Yeah. So this has been a, uh, a wonderful conversation. But before we close off, I wonder if you could tell us how we might find you on your social channels, perhaps your blog and your podcast. Yeah, okay. Uh, happy to. So um, I'm going to make a call out to a community that I'm part of uh, that many of us get in, uh, I think would know about is the L&D Connect community. Mm -hmm. And I think one way that if, if uh, people listening to this really wanted to connect in a uh, really easy way with many other professionals, every Friday morning, 8am uh, UK time, there's a Twitter chat uses the hashtag LD Insight. And there's always an interesting question that's posed in that group. And we uh, it goes for an hour. And I think that's a great way to be able to just chat and connect with others. So that's not just with me or just with you. Mm -hmm. There's genuinely hundreds of people who get involved in that chat. And that's I think that's one way to be able to do it. If people want to reach out to me directly, very happy for that to happen. On Twitter, I'm at Sukhpabial. And if they want to find me on LinkedIn, they can find me my full name, Sukhvinder Pabial. And if they want to listen to my podcast, it's threegood.podbean.com. Wonderful. Thank you very much, Sook. It's been an absolute pleasure Thank you very much, you. David. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed that conversation with Sook. I certainly did. I think we went deep and broad. And if I'm honest, I think we could have carried on for at least another hour. So uh, perhaps that's another podcast that we could uh, put in the can. If you'd like to get in touch with me, you can. Tweet me at David in Learning. Connect on LinkedIn or Facebook, for which you'll find the links in the show notes. Goodbye for now.